On AutoLine this week, we'll be looking at the new cars and trucks that have come out so far this year, and there's quite a few of them. We're going to be drilling down into the best and worst attributes of the top dozen models that have hit the showrooms in 2012. And joining me on today's show is the car critic for the Detroit Free Press, Mark Phelan, as well as Paul Eisenstein from the Detroit Bureau. I'm John McElroy, and they, like me, are jurors on the North American Car and Truck of the Year Awards, and we'll be getting into all of that in just a moment. Underwriting for Auto Line this week is provided by... We are IAC Group, a global tier one supplier of vehicle interior solutions that span the rapid, ever-changing needs of today's industry. From interior design and engineering to manufacturing and delivery, IAC, our heritage, your advantage. From the Auto Line Studios, here is your host, John McElroy. Thanks for joining us in the studio talking about all the new cars and trucks and SUVs and crossovers that have come out so far this year and that are up for potentially the North American Car and Truck of the Year. And I've got two of my colleagues in both the media and as jurors on the North American Car and Truck of the Year, Mark Phelan, Paul Eisenstein. Great having you both here. Good to be here. Thank you. Let's jump right into it. Paul, probably the most important car that Chrysler's coming out with this year. It says it's the biggest hole that it's got in its lineup, yeah. Dodge Dart. Is this the car that's really going to put them back into a competitive position in that segment? Uh, bad pun. I think they, if they didn't hit the bullseye, they scored a lot of points with this one. Uh, I was curious to see what my colleagues would say when they drove it a few weeks ago. And everybody I've talked to has had nothing but praise for the vehicle. The criticisms have been surprisingly few, considering this is a major tough segment. Yeah, Mark, what do you and think of And given that? that it's the first time that Fiat and Chrysler engineers have really worked together on a program from the ground up, it's like there were no hiccups whatsoever. I mean, it's, it's a remarkably good car, and it's a remarkably difficult thing to pull off that, that they have achieved. It, I'd be shocked if it's not one of the finalists for the awards. I, I agree. One thing that I found so interesting is the Chrysler engineers said they had to learn the terminology that the Italian Fiat engineers used. Because in just as one example, in the suspension, in Europe they have much higher cornering loads they, they tend to drive faster, smoother roads, so you have lateral inputs into the suspension. In the United States, more freeway driving, more higher speed, more up and down, so we have, or the Chrysler engineers talked about, we have vertical loads, so they all had to sort of figure out what's the terminology that you guys use and what are the priorities that you put into things. And so to your point, it, it's pretty remarkable. This car is pretty seamless for two different cultures at two different companies getting together to develop a car. Absolutely. And we won't talk about this certainly when we vote, uh, but it will be a real interesting thing to see if this is a sign of what's to come from Chrysler Fiat going forward. And it should gain the market share. They, they, it has Absolutely. been a weak hole in Dodge's lineup. Yeah, so they, the new Dodge been absent from the compact market effectively. Uh, and now they got a serious player. Another kind of car, a little bit bigger than that, uh, Mark, uh, Chevrolet Malibu. What do you make of that one? Boy, I, we've only driven the Eco, the sort of mild hybrid version so far. It's very, very good. I mean, it, it takes all of the, the virtues of the current Malibu, which is a darn good car, and really I think it amplifies on them. The, the E-Assist electric uh, drivetrain that they use for fuel economy works phenomenally well. It's, it's like an American diesel, frankly. It gives mm. you good performance, also excellent fuel economy. The rest of the car is very, very good. They're finally competitive with their interface for phone and, and iPods. Um, it's, it's a very good move. 
Yeah, but it is also an extraordinarily tough, tough market. And it's interesting because when I first saw the car and drove it all the way back in December, I was just blown away by it. But since then, looking at all the other new models that are coming out in the midsize market, some I've driven, some like the Fusion and, uh, well, the Accord, I haven't yet. I think it's going to be a little bit tougher. I think uh, time may be a little harder. It may be a case where they came out early, you know, sort of like the Academy Awards. You come out with a great movie early on. By the time the awards are there, the <laughs> jurors have gone and moved on to something else. Great analogy, Paul. What I liked about the Malibu is, uh, besides the fuel economy in the eco version, is remarkably quiet car. Yes. Very silent inside, very comfortable as well. You know, if you want more of a driver's car, maybe go to the Accord or the Volkswagen Passat, but... I thought this was very comfortable. And the other thing that I found extraordinary is that at highway speeds, at about 70 miles an hour, the engine was only turning about 1,400 RPM. And that just quiets the car down, calms mm -hmm. the car down. So if you do a lot of freeway driving or spend a lot of time in the car, it's a very quiet, comfortable car to be in. I think that that's going to be a very big issue, and they're probably going to try to remind us of that. Uh, if you recall, I think you were at some of the previews, Mark, uh, before we actually drove the car. They made a big issue about how much effort that they put into the drivability, sound quality, being one of those issues. And one of the things briefly that you'll see in almost all the cars that we've driven that are going to be contenders is that makers are starting to not just put time into driving down the levels of sound but improving the quality of sound. For people who aren't familiar with that it means that it may be a little louder but it's a sort of noise you can appreciate. It may be a nice engine note as opposed to a quieter, buzzy engine. Exactly. And the overall refinement of that segment is growing by leaps and bounds. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we've got to talk about the next hottest car in that segment, I think, the Nissan Altamont. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. I didn't think that Nissan could build a car that good. I mean, it came in so far above you know, my expectations. Um, I... I, I you know, drove it, you know, probably a total of, you know, seven, eight hundred miles. And I liked it as much when I got out as when I got in. The, the engine is terrific. All the features that they put in. Uh, fuel economy is outstanding. Best in class. Better fuel economy than the mild hybrid Chevy Eco, Malibu Eco, and the EcoBoost tiny little engine Ford Fusion is going to have. I mean, right. it's like magic, the fuel economy. And it's a really good package overall, I think. Yeah, I think there's already beginning to be a bit of a backlash. We saw consumer reports come down and say these eco versions don't work. Just give us a straightforward, good engine, and Nissan has done that. Uh, I've got to tell you, based but on... But don't underrate what they've done. I mean, they, they reworked their oh, entire... Oh, no, 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 I'm not... I mean, it, it's I, an achievement. I, I agree with you, but the point is, you don't have to go to an eco version. You don't have to spend 800 or $1,000 more with the Altima to get best-in-class fuel economy. I'm agreeing with you. They have done a remarkable job. Um, I've got to tell you, after driving the Malibu, after driving just the Eco, driving the Altima, and now looking at what's coming from Fusion, not knowing what we're going to have from Honda, I have to say point blank, I don't know how the Toyota Camry is going to hang on. It's the least attractive vehicle in you the You mean segment. in terms of the best-selling car? Exactly. It's the least attractive vehicle. I think it was the one that finally said to them they've got to put energy into design, as we're seeing with the Avalon, a vehicle which we haven't driven yet. Uh, but I think these new vehicles could change the pecking order in the mid-size market like we have not seen in decades. The other thing, too, what Nissan has done is put a big bet on continuously variable transmissions, right. CVTs. By and large, I don't like the way they drive, but Nissan has kept at it, kept at it, kept at it. They have a very good Japanese supplier, JATCO, 
that specializes in these transmissions. That is the key as to how they're getting the best-in-class fuel economy. No one else in that class has got a CVT. And they've got it to the point now where they're starting to win me over, that I kind of like the way that this thing drives right now. So, yeah. I, I, and, and I found it to be seamless, so it didn't keep reminding you, I'm a different kind of transmission. Right. Because mm-hmm. people don't want to think about their transmission. Right. They and those sides, they have a, another notch on the gear shift lever that's called mode. sport mode. And so now it behaves more like a step gear transmission. So if you don't like the way the CVT drives, no problem. Just pop it into DS, and it feels like a normal everyday car again, and yet still With very, terrific. very little sacrifice. Nissan belies the old joke, uh, you know, the CVT is a transmission of the future and always will be. We have seen endless numbers of CVTs from virtually every manufacturer and virtually all have retreated. And the few makers that are out there right now, either because it's part of making mileage out of a hybrid, or because they haven't gotten the message that nobody likes it. Well, and Nissan's Nissan. committed, and they stuck to it, and we're about to see Honda get into them in a big way. And it's mm-hmm. going to be very interesting to see what's the learning curve for Honda, because nobody else has gotten that right on their first try yet. Exactly right. And But I just find it interesting. Nissan made the big bet on CVTs, and it's really paying off, especially in fuel economy right yeah. now. Let's go up a little bit in that class, Hyundai Azera. Paul, any thoughts on that car? A little bit of step above of the, the Hyundai Sonata, which is head-to-head with uh, the Nissan Altima or the Chevy uh, Malibu. But It's interesting, isn't it, that this year when everybody was saying, oh, everybody's going to move to small cars. Now we have a bunch of new big cars coming, uh, some of them next year, like the Impala. But Azera is a great example. The Avalon will be another one where the, that segment is being redefined very much better to drive, very much better to just enjoy. They're almost luxury vehicles. In fact, if you get into the Azera or into uh, into the Avalon, which I've only sat in, you feel like you're in a luxury car. You don't feel like you're in a mainstream vehicle anymore. And I think that's how they're going to play the appeal. These vehicles also get reasonably good fuel economy, which is a real surprise. You know, you're getting you're getting vehicles like the Azera, a big car that is getting mid-size, almost even compact fuel economy if you go back a decade. And that is, across the board, I think one of the critical things. Everybody's getting class or two-class better fuel economy, which is changing the game again. My only question about the Azera is, it seems like Hyundai's strategy is, okay, we'll, we'll have the Sonata, which is only a four-cylinder model. Right. We'll come up above, you know, we'll pull an end run around Camry, Accord, and Altima and, and come in here with the Azera. So they're trying to do with two cars what the others are doing with one car. Nissan used to have that strategy. Remember, the Altima used to be a smaller car, and then they had the Maxima to right. pull an end run around Camry and Accord. Well, they do it, it didn't with, work. John, they still do it with Sentra and Altima, which are almost essentially in the same segment. Uh, yeah, I guess you're right, but. The Azera really does sort of push into the larger car segment, and that's where people are still opting for V6s. Remember, there's no market for V6s really in the midsize segment anymore. Well, I, I don't agree. There's a, a small but extremely profitable part of that segment. Okay, jumping from passenger cars into crossovers right now, two strong entries, Mazda CX-5 and Ford Escape. The Ford Escape looks like a really serious player to me. I I have not spent a lot of time behind the wheel yet, but the performance is terrific. I've got the the two-liter turbocharged direct injection EcoBoost engine. Performance is great. The handling is very good. 
luxury features, styling, styling. I, I'm a little bit really. Un, I love it. I love it. On the styling <laughs> uh, of both it and the CX-5, they both got such a deep front dam, that, and I'm sure that gets them a lot of aerodynamic, you know, pickup. But I'm not crazy about the front end of either of them. But the inside is fantastic. So I mean, the the the, the Escape looks like a really serious player, and, and the, the CX-5 has all of Mazda's new powertrain technology in it. It's very impressive. They've got a, a major fuel economy you know, story to tell. I thought that there were some trade-offs in terms of, of, of performance, and I, I didn't think that yeah. the refinement of the rest of that vehicle was quite up to where the Escape... With the Mazda, you mean? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, sorry. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, the Mazda CX-5. But those are two that they're going to be fighting it out for, for the honors, I think. This yeah, good point. Um, I'll be damned, but I do like the front look. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I really like the overall look of the Escape. I'm really pleased to see Ford saying that they are making design on their next level of conquest, if you will. Uh, and we've seen it across the board, and there's a cohesiveness to their design strategy across the board. Uh, but the vehicle is a driver. I think people are going to be surprised. It was always sort of the, the clutch mobile. It was a good seller in part because they knew how to market it. Now I think they're going to find people just will want it. And there's a big difference in strategy, this sort of push versus pull. This could be very critical for them. The EcoBoost engine, every application keeps getting better and better and better. Of course, we'll have to wait and see in real-world driving, and I don't drive real-world, I have my foot to the floor, <laughs> uh, we'll want to see whether the fuel economy matches what's on the window sticker, an issue that they've had with a few of the EcoBoost engines. A CX-5... Great mileage. I did drive that to see what it would get. It is really living up to their promise that they would have gas engines delivering diesel-like mileage. It's a fun car to drive, needs more performance, a couple little issues. You mean more engine power. Yes, exactly. I think that they, they erred a little bit on the side of fuel economy as opposed to performance, which could hurt them if people don't feel like it has a zoom-zoom, because it's not fuel-fuel, it's zoom-zoom that people think of when they go to Mazda. And remember, they've never been the fastest car in almost any segment, but they always have that feeling of sportiness. And that's something I think they may have to tweak. But you're right, Mark, this is going to be a real battle between those two vehicles. Well, Ford will win the battle only because it's got so many more dealers and the, the Escape has always sold so well. But I agree with you, Paul. I think the styling is sensational, very European. As you know, it matches the same model that they call in Europe the Kuga. Right. So now they've combined the design you know, so it's one the same around the world. Exactly. My only issue with the Escape is I drove what they call the titanium edition, fully loading. It was almost thirty-five thousand uh, dollars. Huh. My jaw dropped. I'm used to Escapes costing twenty-two thousand, twenty-three thousand, something like that. You can still get the base model, but boy, you start loading it up and get all the nice features that we're raving about, and you are going to pay for them. We're not on the subject, but just to drop a quick point, one of the questions that we have to ask about Ford is, how will their strategy pay off? They are moving up market on almost all of their products. They're commanding a fairly high premium. We saw it on the Fiesta and the Focus. And yet, what's their biggest complaint at the company? We can't build these things fast <laughs> enough. We're, we're, we have too little inventory. We have to build even more. We've got to go to three shifts and all that. So... I don't like the prices going up, and, and believe me, the whole industry is going up. But if people are paying them, that's what they're going to charge. Yeah. The other risk with the Escape, though, I think, gets back to the styling, because for years they've been selling it as the small, traditional, boxy SUV. 
And there's nothing traditional or boxy about this. Right. Yeah. And how will the, the owners that they've already had adjust to the fact that there's this very sleek European-looking vehicle, and then on top of that, that it, that it can get pricey? I mean, uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how Ford threads that needle. But they have, a, they have an answer to that already. It's called the Explorer. Explorer went exact same direction last year. That was the ultimate of the boxy, wallowy SUVs. It's now a CUV, and it's selling like hotcakes. Yeah. Let's talk about some luxury cars. Paul Cadillac XTS. Have you been in that one? Yeah, I just drove it recently. Um, it's, it's interesting because you may recall in the original days when they were showing it to us, they kept using the word flagship, and they'd try to compare it to almost a 7 Series. And then they saw a downgrade to the 5. They're having a problem figuring out where they're actually positioning this vehicle. Is it a sort of five Audi A6, BMW, um, Mercedes E-Class? Uh, it probably isn't up to the toughest of the performance-oriented European vehicles. But it's a solid, fun vehicle to drive. In fact, what really surprised me was I thought I was getting into the all-wheel drive version when we headed up into the canyons north of Los Angeles. Malibu, for those people that don't know, they think of L.A. as just, you know, boring driving. You get out of the city, and it's wonderful. And I had the front drive by mistake, and I was really pleasantly surprised with the driving. And even more so when I got behind the wheel of the Platinum all-wheel drive. It's a very good vehicle. It's really pretty. A lot of technology. The question is, is it enough to drag some people back out of those Europeans? Mm -hmm. And is it a car that can satisfy the old-style Cadillac owner who wants room, a big trunk, a big back seat, while also reaching out to some of those newer customers who wouldn't have touched the old, the, the big soft old Cadillac with, with a 10-foot pole. I mean, th this is another vehicle that, that has to thread a needle. And I, it's going to be fascinating to watch. I think on the, on the rear seat room, they'll be okay. They, they've got 12 inches over the CTS, which really you can see in the back, back seat. What was one of the biggest surprises, which gave it some nice performance bona fides and handling, uh, was the fact that it's actually lighter than the CTS. Really? Four, yes, it's 4,100 4, to 4,300 pounds, depending on all-wheel, rear-wheel. Uh -huh. Yes, that was the big stunner. That's so, impressive. It's also got the MagnaRide system. So it which, rides beautifully. Right, yeah. for those who don't know, it's a, a continuously variable suspension. Uh, the biggest complaint I had, oddly enough, was the gearbox. Not that it's a six-speed, but that it was not able to shift into sport mode. And so when you were on those hills and you throttled down, it was a very slow downshift. It was old-fashioned, uh, oh, do you want me to shift? Oh, okay, sort of gearbox. Mm. That's an easy programming thing. I think they heard it from everybody. I'd be surprised if they go to production without tweaking the transmission settings. Okay, moving right along here, Lexus GS. Who's been in that one? I, I've driven it. It, it. Lexus... Every couple of years, Lexus comes out with a new vehicle, and they say, this is the exciting one. This is going to make you think that we're just like BMW. This is this year's model. And it is certainly more exciting than the previous GS. I found it to be a fairly incremental vehicle. It, it's nice. That, you know, the, the, uh, An owner of the previous GS who buys it will, I'm sure, be happy. It didn't feel like it moved the needle for the brand for me. I am normally not very nice to Lexus or Toyota, as you know. I'll be open about it. I'm, I'm always waiting for them to really come up to their, to their full peak potential uh, rather than sort of coasting on what people expe expect. And I think the GS was a lot better vehicle than you give it credit for, and that surprised me. I think it was probably one of the biggest 
incremental movements. Was it, was it a breakthrough? No, but it was enough of an incremental improvement in looks, in handling, performance acceleration, that it was the, it's probably the first Lexus that I would tell somebody who is interested in European, at least it's worth considering. What do you uh, both make of the new styling that Lexus is going with, especially the sort of hourglass shape of the, the grill? I like it. And I have to say, I think that their new grill is rather reminiscent to the Nissan Altima's new grill. Mm. Nissan says that they got the idea from the traditional jacket that a samurai warrior wears. And I, I think it looks good on both of them. It has been controversial, though. I'm not sure how you stand. About that. I, that's the least favorite part of the new design theme. Uh, I find the spindle looks good on some of the models and not on others. Uh, so I want to wait to see a few more executions of it. I do think that if the GS is an indication of where they're going with styling, they're finally going to have a little bit of passion, much like looking at the Avalon. I'm finally yeah. saying maybe they can put some passion into the design and the Toyota brand. I kind of like it. I mean, uh, Lexus has always been sort of a styling statement that blends into the background. I like the fact that this new grill is bold. I've only seen it at auto shows. I haven't seen it out running around on the street, and that always... Uh, helps determine my final decision as to whether I like styling or yeah. not. Moving right along, Infiniti JX. Nice vehicle. I was very pleased to drive it. Unfortunately, the driving conditions we had, we went down to South Carolina. Uh, let's say that I think I hit 55 or 60 once for a mile and a half. So I can't really tell you what it'll be like on, on Michigan potholed roads at 85 miles an hour. Uh, but it's well equipped. It's well thought through. Uh, and it's body on frame. It's, so uh, it right? No, no unibody. No, it's unibody. Is, yeah. Oh, that's what I meant to say. Yeah. This unibody. Is, this that, is unibody. Honest, guys, that's what I meant to say. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's uh, lighter, nimbler, better right. fuel economy. And, and what I really like is uh, the big problem is we're seeing everybody move out of minivans and giving up all sorts of things so that they don't have to be said they're driving a minivan. But this vehicle gives an awful lot of minivan-like features back to people who feel like they have to get into a crossover. And that's what's interesting about it, because Nissan and, and Infiniti jumped into the crossover market fast and, and really hard, but so far they have stayed away from the biggest, most profitable part of yeah. that market, three rows of seats, you know, Chevy Traverse, Buick Enclave, you know, Ford Explorer kind of thing. This gets Infiniti into that segment. Right. It, it appears to be a pretty good package in terms of, of usable interior space, so this, this could be a very important car for them. Okay, let's talk about maybe the most important luxury car that is in the market right now, the BMW 3 Series. Mm. New design there. I like the design. I have to say that I found the technology to be a little bit disappointing. In what I, way? Uh, they, they've got a, they, they have extremely impressive fuel economy numbers, which will be one of the reasons a lot of people buy the car. They get those extremely efficient, impressive numbers with an auto-stop system that shuts the car off when you're stopped at a traffic light, that kind of thing. And I found the performance of that system to be unacceptable. In what way? It, it, it's rough. You feel it stopping. The, the better ones of these, even in cars like the Malibu Eco, that you can get into for 25 grand. Which is really good. That's exactly. a very good application. That's probably the best. Amazingly, that's probably the best of these systems. That engine shuts off, you never notice. It restarts immediately, you never notice. The, the 3 Series, every time it shut off, the whole car kind of shuddered. There was a little noise. And there were times when it was restarting that I wasn't sure I was, it was going to start fast enough for me to be able to clear a left turn or that kind mm. of thing. So I, I found that terribly disappointing. And given that it's how they get their calling card of high fuel economy, that's a pretty major black mark for the vehicle as a whole. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure it's, it's the only thing as critical as you make it sound like, 
But I, I agree with you. I don't think BMW has figured out how to do stop-start, and I can't figure out why. It's not good on anyone, including the, the new Grand Sport uh, yeah. model. Right. I don't get it. It's rough. And it also it sounds like a starter, and I don't want to hear, if I'm in traffic and I stop-start, stop-start. Especially in a very expensive luxury car. I don't want to hear the sound of my starter. I want to hear something that has a deeper, more reassuring sound. I don't know what it is. Whenever you hear a starter motor, it sounds... You always worry, is it going to kick? Yeah. Maybe it's my age, I don't know, but it's, you always wonder. The one thing that I really like about the new 3 Series is just how they redesigned the front end, and now the headlamps connect to the grill. The grill used to be that little kidney shape all right. just sitting there by itself. I don't know what it is. Just making that connection on the front end, boy, does it look better to my eye. I agree. And it's lighter in weight and more passenger space, more trunk space. That's a That's a tricky combination oh, to pull You've hit on something really important. Make it quick, because I want to get to one more car, okay. and we don't have much it, time. It is the lightweighting we're seeing, and the Germans are really getting good at this. Well, cutting weight got off. a long way to go. I know, I know, but it's a major breakthrough. But let's talk about a light little luxury car, then, the Acura ILX. Have you guys been in that mm -hmm. one? Yeah. Um, I don't find the styling very impressive. I wanted them to come up with something that said, we're really in the game. It wasn't. Uh, there's a lot of plastic components to it. In the end, though, when you get out there and flog it around, it's fun to drive. I, I totally agree. I, I found it to be a buzzy. Acura is supposed to be a luxury brand. It doesn't feel like a luxury car. But I agree with you. If you start really wanting to drive that thing hard, it responds. It, it is fun to drive. But one of the critical issues, if I may, is that they are falling behind on powertrain technology. Yeah. Honda, which yeah. was an engine company, right. is not doing the breakthroughs. That's why they, they call will. it Honda Motor Company. Right. right. Look, we're running out of time. i got to have you guys back at the end of the year. Here's the first half of the year. We've covered a lot. We haven't even gotten to everything that's come out, but I think we got to the most important ones. But Mark Phelan from the Detroit Free Press, Paul Eisenstein from the Detroit Bureau, great having the both of you on. Good to be with you. And Thank like you. I said, another six months from now, we're going to have another show on What's Up for the North American car and truck of the year. Underwriting for Auto Line this week has been provided by We are IAC Group, a global tier one supplier of vehicle interior solutions that span the rapid, ever-changing needs of today's industry. From interior design and engineering to manufacturing and delivery. IAC, our heritage, your advantage.